Hiberno Goethe, German-Irish Conversations. Join me, St. Pauli fan and former Dusseldorfer Kieran Murray, in conversation with my guests as we explore the connecting moments of German and Irish life. We delve into the many aspects of arts, language and life across cultures. What do musicians, dancers, artists and writers pick up from both cultures? And how are they inspired and enriched by the other? Hiberno Goethe. German-Irish Conversations is for all listeners who like to go and think beyond borders. This podcast is supported by the Goethe Institute Dublin. My guest today is Jan Wagner, German poet, essayist and translator and former student in Trinity College Dublin. So, willkommen Jan. Nice to have you with Thank us. You. Jan, uh, can you tell us uh, where you are today? Um, well, normally I live in Berlin, but I'm uh, slightly north of Berlin uh, at the moment in a region called Uckermark. Um, it's in between the Baltics and, uh, and Berlin and uh, a very rural place, uh, quite lovely, many lakes, a uh, bit hilly. Well, lots of small villages, no no big cities around here, um, but beautiful to be here in the countryside. Is that Brandenburg or is that Mecklenburg? Mecklenburg. It's, it's almost Mecklenburg, but it's still Brandenburg. Yeah. Uh, Uckermark really uh, stretches from Brandenburg to uh, uh, Mecklenburg Vorpommern, but this part uh, I am in at the moment is still Brandenburg. And there are lakes and hills there? Quite quite a few, yeah. You yeah. can go swimming, uh, uh, a lot of cyclists around here. Yeah, I confess, when I think of the lakes, I suppose I think of Bavaria. I can't imagine that that many Irish people go on holiday to uh, Uckermark. Is that the name? Well, I haven't seen any so far. Um, Some friends from Ireland uh, visit us uh, occasionally, but um, tourists, uh, no. I mean, many people from Berlin come uh, just to cycle. Uh, You can do some some, uh, donkey tours as well. You can take a donkey and uh, and, uh, uh, hike through the countryside with with a donkey. um, besides you, but uh, no Irish uh, tourists yeah. so far. Do you mean you hike with a donkey, not on a donkey? Uh, that, no, uh, not on a donkey. You you are led by two donkeys. And the beautiful thing is that uh, I've never done it, by, but they, they pass by occasionally, those people who do that. And the beautiful thing is that you have uh, have to adopt your pace of walking to the donkey's pace of walking. So whenever the donkey stops to uh, to I don't know, have a drink of water or to 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 uh, just uh, have a nap or have some grass, you're forced to stay there as well uh, as long as the donkey decides to be there. It's quite beautiful. Sometimes you see people are very patient and they stay there for a long, long time uh, and and just. Uh, no, lay down in the grass and have a nap themselves besides the donkeys. Uh, and, and sometimes you have very impatient people. You can, you can see they, they want to go somewhere, and uh, but the donkeys won't let them. It sounds like a, a test of your personality, walking in the, in the lakes and hills of North Germany to find out what kind yeah. of person you are. It's called the Uckermark donkey test. Uckermark yeah. donkey test, yeah. And if you were to go slightly further north, you'd get to the sea there. So is that part of the sea? That's where the islands are uh, in Germany. Yeah, that's right. That's where the Isle of Rügen is and, mm-hmm. and the slightly uh, uh, smaller island of Hiddensee. So if you go straight with the train up north from here, where I am at the moment, you get to Stralsund. And Stralsund is a, a beautiful city and the gateway to the Isle of Rügen. There are other islands, of course, in the, in the, in the northern sea. But, uh, but the Baltics, uh, yeah, that would be the biggest islands. Quite beautiful islands, too. And Hidden Sea, I've always thought of it as a kind of a hippie dropout place, even during the DDR days. It, it had some kind of special status where you could go. Is that fair? Well, I, I went to Hidden Sea for the first time uh, three years ago. So, uh, of course, I, I missed those uh, those days. But um, as far as I hear, um, yes, that's true. Yeah. But, uh, obviously, it's the, the, you know, the, last, uh, the last piece of land. Uh, before you get to Denmark, mm-hmm. and uh, of course Denmark at the time was the next uh, 
stop if you you know were longing for for the West or were longing uh, to get out of the GDR. So uh, Hinsey, I assume, was a place for well, people um, people with the dream to to get away or, or to be elsewhere. Did you read the novel Hinsey? Um, the well, I read the novel. Uh, it's called Crusoe or Crusoe. Yeah, Crusoe. Uh, sorry, yes, play. yes. Not, not, not with the C, not, not Robinson Crusoe, but that's, of course, alluding to Robinson Crusoe. Yeah. And, uh, but the K by Lutz Seiler. Yeah, I've read that novel. It's, it's a wonderful one. Yeah. And it, it, it's exactly about the, the, the days, the times you're describing or you're thinking of. Yeah. And, uh, and you know the writer, Kurt Seiler. Yeah. Lutz Seiler, I know. Yeah. yeah. He's, uh, he's uh, somebody I know. He's a wonderful poet as well. He's slightly older than I am, but uh, uh, he's a, a magnificent novelist and, and a wonderful poet. He started with poetry. Uh, also uh, a writer of uh, fantastic short stories. So if you if you if you uh, uh, read of short stories, you should uh, check out uh, his um, his collections. They are quite a good read too. Yeah, yeah. Some people have recommended that after getting through Crusoe, that I should uh, enjoy some of his other writings, which are not so much full of um, well, for me, a kind of a magic realism or something, and more approachable. Talking about poetry, maybe we'll start with a poem. So, um, do you have one of your own that would be good to start with? So uh, it's uh, I, do, I do like to start off with small things or, or seemingly banal objects. Uh, of course, in poetry, for me at least, there are no banal objects. But this one would be a, a poem starting off or very uh, small object in its title. It's uh, it's about a piece of soap, and um, it's yeah. part of a series of poems uh, um, entitled "Essay on Something." So you have an essay on midges, uh, an essay <clears throat> on fences. And uh, you've got an essay on soap. That's the one. I'll start with the German original. Versuch über Seife. Ein Stück war immer in der Nähe. Folgte seinen eigenen Phasen, wurde weniger wie fast alles. Stand dann wieder voll und leuchtend weiß in seiner Schale. Wog wie ein Stein in der Faust, schäumte auf, wurde weicher. Man wusch sich von Kain zu Abel. Einmal vergessen verwitterte sie zum rissigen Asteroidensplitter, doch ruht jetzt feucht und glänzend wie etwas, das vom Grund des Sees heraufgetaucht wird, sekundenlang kostbar. Und alle sitzen wir am Tisch. Mondloser Abend, duftende Hände. And this is the uh, uh, an English translation by uh, David Keplinger, an American poet. Essay on soap. One piece was always nearby, followed its own phases, diminishing like almost everything does, then stood again, full and luminously white in its bowl weighed like a stone in the fist. In a froth, it became softer. One washed oneself from Cain into Abel. Once it was forgotten, it weathered into a fissured asteroid splinter, but rests now moist and shiny, like something from the bottom of the lake that's been quarried, precious for those seconds. And we have gathered at the table. Moonless evening. Fragrant hands. That was beautiful. 
Thank you for reading um, that. Glad to hear that. Thank you very much. Uh, it, it, it almost made me um, a little bit sentimental or a little bit forlorn or something for the loss of the soap. <laughs> almost um, as if that soap is something to be treasured and not to be taken too lightly or something. Well, I mean, it, it is something to be treasured. I think, at least in poetry, it is. Um, I, I do enjoy, as I said, those those poems that start off with something which we, uh, we have just gotten too used to, maybe. You know, I, I do like writing about tea bags, about chainsaws. Uh, uh, I mean, other things as well. I write about historical figures or, or uh, old bikers. But uh, those small objects really um, carry within them the real treasures. If you if you write poetry, I think and. Uh, if, if you had the feeling of loss or felt sorry for the piece of soap, then uh, uh, then that's um, that's beautiful because um, it is a poem about loss, obviously, and and uh, that group gathering at the end uh, is um, you know uh, one that gets together possibly after having lost something. Of all the creatures that have had poems written about them, and I imagine that uh, wolves and lions have had lots of poems written about them and eagles and things. I, I don't think midges uh, have, have had many, if any at all. I think it's the first <laughs> poem about midges that I've come across. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's true. And, uh, and uh, of course, it's, it's, um, it's uh, the less risky path if, if, you, if you write about midges. I mean, there, there's so many poems about nightingales. Writing about a nightingale, you, you uh, have... You know, you're instantly competing oh, with yeah, John Keats yes, and the yeah, like. And, yeah. and uh, uh, John Keats didn't write about midges. Yeah. So uh, that's no, you know, you're, you're, you're safe. Yeah, yeah. So you've written the best poem about midges ever. <laughs> I haven't, well, I haven't written the best poem about soap ever because Francis Ponge, uh, the French poet, a uh, marvellous poet, has written about soap as well. So it's, uh, it's uh, okay. uh, there are better poems about soap, about <laughs> midges, I don't know. When it comes to performing, uh, obviously these days you don't get much opportunity to perform. But is performing your poetry is that something that you enjoy? I enjoy it a lot. Yeah, I, I do like reading um, poems, um, and I, I do like uh, seeing people react to poems as well. It's, it's, I think it's beautiful to to gather and to listen to poetry. And I myself like to listen to poetry as well, even poetry in languages I do not understand. I think it's wonderful to listen to a Chinese poet or a Finnish poet perform their work in front of an audience. And, and a lot of times uh, after the readings, you have wonderful conversations on poetry or other matters, soap, midges, whatever. Yeah. And uh, that's, that is lovely. Um, so I miss that a lot. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we can do Zoom readings, of course, many like like all people gathering uh, um, before the screens, uh, we, we can do Zoom as poets as well and read via zoom and you can uh, you can join readings in uh, in uh, lisbon or ghana uh, on the screen but it's not the same thing obviously and i'm longing uh, like 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 we all are longing of course for those times where we can actually gather and uh, and read together and talk and do you have particular venues or even types of venues that are good for performing poetry do you need somewhere small and intimate is a pub good or would you be happy in a old church or a concert hall how does that work for you churches can be a bit intimidating i think and 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 also the uh, acoustics are, are difficult in churches but in, in the pub that's lovely yeah i've read in pubs and cafes uh, it's quite common in germany to read in bookstores and uh, bookshops to go there and read i do that quite often but i do enjoy poetry festivals too some are really uh, good in finding spots where never any reading has taken place before so you uh, 
uh, you know, some some ruin, some old um, indoor swimming pool, places like that okay. that can be quite challenging, quite lovely too. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, um, the, the bookshop readings are the more classical ones where you have an audience uh, which is willing to even pay in order to get in and listen yeah. to somebody reading, yeah. and uh, and festivals are tend to be a bit more crowded mm-hmm. uh, and lively. Um, I enjoy, enjoy all those readings, the more intimate ones and the and the lively ones, the group readings where you can uh, where you are joined perhaps by by musicians as well. Do you think then that if you're reading in in Berlin or if you're reading uh, just generally in Germany, would it be a different experience from uh, reading in Galway or in Cork when you visit Ireland uh, to read poetry? Again, I'd say it depends on where you read. I've uh, I've had readings in, in Cork at the university that. It would have been like a university reading in Germany. You gather the students, you talk, you have a, a little reception afterwards and talk about poetry or writing in general. But then I've read uh, um, in, in more peculiar places. I've taken part in this fantastic uh, Connemara Borg weekend uh, in, in Connemara, which is lovely. You get, you get music, you get poetry recitals, uh, well, in pubs, for example, or um, other places, um, or reading on uh, on Eckel Island, um, uh, which, of course, is a magical uh, talking about islands, a wonderful place to, to read uh, on. And uh, so it really depends, I think, where you are. Did you did you ever get invited to, to spend some time at the Bull Cottage on Ackle? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of years ago, uh, I, I went to Ackle in, 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 in a very cold and uh, stormy February. And, and well, It's spent, always uh, cold and stormy in Ackle. It doesn't matter if that's, it's February. That's, <laughs> that's what I found out when I went to Ackle in August, uh, three years later. I thought, that's not a big change to, uh, to my... Yeah. to my days in February but uh, but it's, it's a magical place I really yeah. enjoyed it a lot yeah I spent three weeks in the uh, Bill Cottage and uh, and uh, and got my little fire going and wrote and uh, went uh, walking uh, during the day and wrote in the road at night that was fantastic and I uh, quite enjoyed uh, being there meeting the people who, who organize uh, um, uh, those stays in the Bell Cottage. Yeah, yeah. Is it John? Four, Is it four years later? I went to. They, they had. A, they got this festival there as well. Yeah, of course. And I went there to to do readings. And there we had some wonderful readings in pubs, but also uh, in churches. Yeah, small countryside yeah. churches, and that was quite beautiful too. Yeah, I think there's a kind of artist community. I think the one of the artists is one of the organizers, John. Have I got that right? John McHugh. Right? Yeah, yeah. That's yes. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, don't, don't give me the keys to the to, to, to the cottage. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think he was the head of the Hundred Bell Association. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I I had the good fortune to stay there, but not because I have any creative talent at all, just because I'm married to an artist and she got to stay there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. And it's it's a wonderful spot, isn't it? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's magical. Yeah, the wonderful desk at the window, and you can see all the way down to the bay. It's quite lovely. When you're writing, when you're writing, um, do you have to? change your personality if you're writing a piece that's more of an essay piece or even if it's a piece of uh, reportage or something that you're writing for a newspaper or when you're writing poetry is that a very different experience it certainly is a different experience and and uh, and, and a completely different mode of writing i think that starts that uh, with the fact that for for an essay on a particular topic you have to start doing some research perhaps uh, on 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 the person you're writing about or on the on the uh, country you're visiting if it's a travel piece you're doing so there's more research involved and it's a different um, kind of writing perhaps less adventurous uh, i mean the, the, the wonderful thing about writing poems i think is that you do not know uh, where you are going to end up you you start writing a poem with you know with a piece of soap or whatever or just a word or some wonderful image and you you just uh, engage on that 
trip and, and you don't, do not know where you will end up. And, and the, the, one, the most wonderful moment to me when writing a poem is that, is, is that moment when you, when you are surprised by your own poem, when you suddenly think, oh, I did not expect the journey to go this way. And, and you actually, you're, you're, you're being told something new, something you did not know by the poem that you yourself write. That's quite uh, paradoxical, but, but, but true nevertheless. And yeah. I think there are many surprises involved in writing essays as well, but it's a lot, for, for me at least, it's a lot, uh, lot more sober thing to do and, and, uh, and less um, thrilling. Um, I've never written a novel or a short story, so I can't tell you about that, but essays are a different mode altogether. Um, and uh, I suppose you are a different person in a way, or you are trying to uh, hold back maybe uh, your own two personal feelings or, or, or ways of writing. Also, when you're translating, I think you're, you're trying to uh, hold back and, and, and become a different voice or to be the servant maybe of, of somebody else and, and not to intrude on somebody, somebody else's ground with your own uh, loves and stylistic devices. Is it like that one side of your brain is the very creative side and you need that for writing poetry and yet the other side is a much more rational side and that has to do more with essay writing and research? Well, I think um, that that's true, maybe, but uh, but also writing poetry. I think it's a, it's a very curious back and forth between rational or critical thinking about what you have written and uh, a sort of uh, freewheeling, uh, uh, joyful game you're playing with language, and and both go hand in hand. I think you that's the the magical thing about it that you can enter that realm of juggling and you know purely enjoying language. Uh, by thinking critically about what you have done or, or uh, quite rationally going about your, your work, um, taking a step back, as it were, to, to see what you've written, that can quite quickly enter a phase again of, of wild writing and wild uh, um, yarn spinning. Um, and so rational thinking about, about language, uh, about words, about uh, grammar even, go hand in hand and can trigger uh, the, the, the wild... Uh, and enjoyable game of writing poetry again. When you write a poem, say, like Soap, I suppose, because we we heard that one, does it take a lot of re-edits? And do you have something that's quite big at first with lots of ideas and you need to pair it back and pair it back? Is it is it difficult to, to finish it and say, that's the final version, that's it? Well, the, the French poet Paul Valéry once said, you don't finish a poem, you give it up. <laughs> and that's quite true. Um, and uh, of course, the, the, the art then would be uh, uh, to know at what point you give up your poem, um, uh, which is uh, just uh, another, uh, basically the same, the same problem all over again. Yeah, I think the, the fact that you have to revise your poem and that you have to uh, cut certain parts from your poem is often overlooked. That process does take a long time too. Um, uh, I'm a very slow writer and uh, I really add word to word and sentence to sentence and stanza to stanza, but equally long it does take me to to revise the poem and I, I, I leave it be for a couple of weeks and, and then return to the poem a little bit like uh, like uh, you know some stranger who, who sees the poem for the first time, trying to get that, that look of a stranger on the piece I've written myself to, to be able to go about it critically and to revise it properly. <clears throat> it does happen that you have a piece that is 30 lines long and still it is lacking something. And you, you cut away line after line and end up with three lines and, and, and you make the, 
the astonishing experience that those three lines actually have a lot more to say and uh, carry a lot more within themselves than the 30 lines you had before. When it comes then to your translation work, is that something that you enjoy and is is translating poetry in particular uh, something that's really unusual and really difficult to capture all the different levels in a poem that's in English and to put that into German? Well, um, people say that it's impossible to translate a poem and, and it uh, certainly um, has a lot of impossibilities. And, and I think the first experience that you make when you're when you set out to translate a poem is the experience of loss. You, you will always lose something. You will lose a meaning, you will lose um, some musical quality perhaps, and uh, or some pun. So um, uh, you can't get across all of the things all of the time at the same uh, spot in the same line. But for me, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to do. You learn a lot when translating a poem. And it uh, is, quite frankly, a lot of fun to do a translation as well. In fact, I think I think too many people stress the loss. You know, the, the, the famous phrase, uh, poetry is what's lost in translation. I think that's not true. Um, people should stress more often that you gain a lot in poems as well, and, and in translating poems. You gain all the means and the, and, the, and the particular qualities of the foreign language which are added to the original poem. And some, some things uh, uh, suddenly are possible that were not possible before. So uh, you can actually win by translating as well, which is a beautiful thing to, uh, to experience. If you're translating a poem from an Irish poet, does it help that you have lived in Dublin and that you've spent time in Galway and Connemara and Donegal and places, does it help you get a sense of the poem? Does that make your translation easier? I, I'm sure that it does make it easier in a way, yes, because uh, at least I, I, it is easier for me to grasp allusions to places, to, uh, to historical facts, perhaps uh, idioms, for example. I, I, I heard on the street uh, from friends, um, a particular way of speaking, uh, also regional differences uh, in, in a much lesser way because I, I, I have, don't have that much experience with that. But uh, it, it must, I'm sure it does make it easier for me to, 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 uh, to uh, get certain layers of meaning. And are there um, Irish poets that you enjoy translating into German? Uh, yes, a lot. In fact, I started when I, when I spent, uh, when I studied <clears throat> in Dublin, in 94, 95, I, uh, I translated McNeese, uh, who hadn't been translated at all uh, into German before. And that was a, uh, a marvelous discovery and also a great uh, and fruitful yeah. task for me. Yeah. Which, I which, learned a lot. Yeah, which poems did you translate? McNeese is an interesting poet. I, I, trans I translated uh, um, uh, quite a few um, okay. from all phases of his work, yeah. starting out with that lovely, I think, very early poem, River and Spate, which is uh, strong musical qualities, but then also, uh, I think, the taxis uh, and, and other later poems. So um, um, I tried to translate, uh, I think I did 20 or 30 translations from, oh, all, okay. uh, from, from the whole body of Magnesis work. Mm. Uh, and and uh, did, did then some, some Patrick Kavanagh translations, uh, Thomas Kinsella, and, uh, and I've done a lot of translations by... Um, of, of Matthew Sweeney's work, yeah. uh, the late Matthew Sweeney. Yeah, um, and I enjoyed that. I, I did enjoy that a lot. And, and uh, Matthew was one one poet I actually got to know and was a friend of. So so there was a special yeah. uh, a special project in in uh, every respect. When you translated uh, Matthew Sweeney's work, because you knew him, do you think was he always happy with your translation? 
um, we, we first met in Berlin, <clears throat> and he spent some time in Berlin. And as you know, he, he, he was uh, influenced by German literature, and he, he liked German and spoke German. So he was the, the, the rare poet that you translate who can actually read your translations and can tell you, no, 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 that's not at all <laughs> what I was thinking about. So a um, dangerous uh, enterprise to translate somebody who does know your language. Yeah. Um, we had actually quite um, quite enjoyable evenings. We, we uh, When I had my first a draft, I, I would call Matthew on the phone and say, uh, listen, I, I got some versions I'm quite satisfied with. And we would then meet uh, for some wine and some Indian food in the Berlin Kreuzberg and, and go through the uh, translations. And he would say, well, you know, I checked I checked that German word uh, in the uh, online dictionary. I think there are some other meanings as well, aren't there? And and uh, so we, we, we had some good uh, good time talking about the translations. Yeah. And uh, and I think it did the translations good also to be there and uh, to read them together. If the uh, poet of the original poem reads his poem, you can, first of all, you you can sense whether there's some some irony involved or some some uh, heavy. Uh, pathos uh, in it and uh, and you can uh, see where he's talking uh, tongue-in-cheek and, and then you can try to read the German and you can compare both versions at the table uh, having a glass of wine and and, and and see whether the sound is actually similar yeah. in the translation yeah. compared to the original version. You're making me very nostalgic for a glass of wine in Kreuzberg and discussing <laughs> cultural matters with friends. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, would you have a piece of poetry by an Irish poet uh, that you'd like to read? Do I have Matthew's uh, last volume uh, yeah. here uh, that was published really only a couple of weeks ago uh, by, by Blodex. It's called um, uh, Shadow of the Owl, and it contains all the poems that Matthew Sweeney wrote in the last year of his life when he knew that he was uh, ill and, and tried to, to write, well, to, to write against against what was happening and and uh, an astonishing volume of poems really it starts off with a sequence of poems 12 poems called the owl where he's really trying to find a way of describing what is happening uh, to him uh, trying to find a way of putting it into a perspective and to find a, a, a good a proper image for the threat he was facing somewhat um, threatening and mysterious owls appearing or not appearing or, or possibly going to appear sometime. And maybe this is the first part of that sequence and the first uh, poem of the book, The Owl, part one. No one knows where I'm going, not even me. Although that owl I heard outside last night might lead me to the terrain and call out the custodians, so they can surround and welcome me or do whatever they want to do. I won't speak, won't say my name even if they try to coerce me or play unearthly music, such as sailors here far out on the Atlantic. In fog so thick, they venture to climb it to reach clear sky. Some do and speak of large blue birds that glide there silently as ghosts but those men return too damaged to speak much or stay above ground very long the owl could tell more if you wanted but you won't and not only that he's decided he will never be seen uh, do you want to hear the attempt of a, of a german translation uh, as yes well? absolutely yeah die eule teil eins Niemand weiß, wohin ich gehe, 
nicht einmal ich. Obwohl die Eule, die ich gestern Nacht hörte, mich vielleicht in jene Gegend führen wird und dort die Wächter herausruft, auf dass sie einen Kreis um mich bilden, mich willkommen heißen oder tun, was immer sie wollen. Ich werde nicht sprechen, nicht meinen Namen nennen, selbst unter Zwang nicht oder wenn Musik, die nicht von dieser Welt ist, erklingt. Wie Seeleute draußen auf dem Atlantik sie hören, im Nebel, der so dicht ist, dass sie ihn erklimmen, dem klaren Himmel zu. Und die es schaffen, berichten von riesigen blauen Vögeln, stumm wie Geister dahingleitend, aber die Rückkehrer sind zu versehrt, um viel zu reden oder sich noch lang über der Erde zu halten. Die Eule könnte mehr erzählen, wenn sie wollte, doch wird es nicht tun. Und nicht nur das, sie hat entschieden, sich niemals blicken zu lassen. It's, it's a marvelous sequence of poems and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's breathtaking really in, uh, in, uh, in its uh, imagery and uh, it's, it's humor, it's grim humor and it's courage, frankly. He knew he was very unwell when he was writing those poems. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you think as a poet you're almost obliged to expose your soul a little bit to, to your readers? Well, Uh, the, the wonderful thing about poetry is that, that everything is possible. So, uh, uh, yes, there are poets who do that. Um, there are poems written in a time of suffering, in a time of need, and uh, poems directly expressing uh, the state of the person writing them uh, at the time of writing them. But at the same time, poems or poetry can be a great masquerade. You can uh, hide inside your poem very well as well. So uh, there are poets like the Portuguese poet Fernando Pessoa, who uh, invented many different poets and wrote poetry while being in those persons, basically. A very fascinating piece of work or fascinating uh, collection of bodies of work because there's so many different persons he wrote for and within. So um, uh, I think it would be wrong to assume that every poet is a direct report from the inside of the person of the poet writing the poem. Um, there are many poets and many poems who hide uh, themselves very well. And I tend to be, uh, I tend to belong to that second group. I, I, uh, I do like wearing masks and to write uh, using the, the, the little word I or ich as a, as a means of, of hiding behind it. Frankly, I think it's one of the great possibilities you have when you write poetry that you can discover other, other ways of existing. Poetry is one of the few places where you can say, I am a stone. And nobody will say, come on, you're not a stone. You are, uh, uh, you're Kieran and, and you're young. And, and no, you can actually say, I am a stone. And you can very convincingly uh, tell the reader uh, what it is like to be a stone and why we all should be a stone much more often, perhaps. When it comes to the kind of um, kind of era that poets write in, I mean, you know, uh, in modern day Germany, things like um, the rise of the right or uh, major environmental issues would be, would be very um, big themes. I mean, do many young German poets, do they have that as the background to what they're writing about? Is, it, is that societal um, thing? Does it come into the poetry a lot? Um, the, the current poetry scene in Germany is very lively and there are uh, dozens of, of very uh, individual voices. And, and so it's hard to, uh, to 
give you a, a, a general answer to that question, but there are poets who write political poems and who directly comment on what's going on uh, among the younger generation as well, uh, among the uh, uh, older poets, uh, famous examples uh, of, of you know, modern 20th century poets who did that would be uh, Enzensberger or Erich Fried or Volker Braun, uh, who would, who would uh, write wonderful poems where you can uh, sense immediately what, um, what background, uh, uh, what political background or what, uh, what glimpse of society they, they, they want, to, want to give you. But uh, there are other poets, um, you could call the complete opposite of that, people who focus on, on language itself, language poets who try to sort out the material they're working with itself. So uh, it's very hard to say, but for me, I think the, uh, the one thing that you can actually decide not to write directly about what's going on, you don't have to mention any politician or you don't have to mention any political party. I think if you, if you are an eyewitness of what's happening today, if you are a contemporary and uh, somebody who, who has a political mind and, and a sense of what the politics is, uh, if you are a reader of newspapers, and a writer of poems, I think those ground subject matters will enter your poems even without mentioning them directly. So writing a piece or writing a poem on a stone or a piece of soap can actually reflect quite precisely uh, not only the beauties, but also the darknesses of what is happening today uh, without mentioning uh, a right-wing party at all. But you can uh, uh, read the poem and immediately get a sense of a threat of something um, slightly wrong or uh, going downhill. And, and uh, the wonderful thing about that kind of poems is that even a hundred years from now, if there are uh, poems that are successful, somebody else in a, in a different environment, in a different uh, part of the world perhaps can read the poems and adopt them for their own difficult and dark times and possibly find them soothing. Let me take you back to um, to Irish poetry uh, a little bit. When you came to Dublin in the mid-90s uh, as a student yourself, was that something that you chose and that you wanted to do or were they picking the names out of the hat and you just happened to get Dublin? Were Irish poets something that you were, that you were always interested in? Yes, a lot. Uh, I, I, as I said, I, I, I had been to Ireland uh, a couple of times before moving there uh, for, for, for the studies and I did peaked Dublin myself. I wanted to go to Ireland uh, and, and wanted to um, study in Ireland and Irish literature um, because I was very fond of quite a few Irish writers. I had uh, for a couple of years been reading Joyce and Beckett uh, and others, uh, Yeats as well. So I wanted to go to, to Dublin and study Irish poetry, Irish literature with Irish professors and Irish writers, which I then did. Was it a thrill to be in Trinity and to have living Irish poets uh, lecture you about Irish literature. Absolutely. That was stunning. I mean, the, the gulf between, between the academy uh, or the academic world and the poetry world in Germany, I think, is a lot, uh, lot vaster than it is in the uh, English-speaking world and also in Ireland. I started my studies in Hamburg, but I never uh, had a, a professor who was at the same time uh, a poet. Um, so I, I never had the first-hand experience, and uh, that changed completely when I uh, studied at Trinity, where Brendan Kennelly, the Dublin poet, was my professor for that particular field, uh, Irish poetry, or poetry written in English. So we talked about uh, about Yeats, Kavanagh, Heaney, of course, uh, and others, and that was uh, 
a very thrilling and um, and enriching ex experience for me. Well, I remember hearing a story that Kennelly and maybe even Heaney was there at the time and some of the others uh, would meet in O'Neill's pub just really across the road from Trinity uh, for lunch right. and maybe a pint at lunchtime or something. And it was often kind of called the, the Poet's Corner or the Poet's Gathering, or kind of Poet's Lunch. They weren't called lecturers or they weren't called the academics. They were seen as poets uh, more than academics. Yeah. I think that was good. Yeah, that was the, I mean, I was uh, also at the time, I was more interested in writing poetry uh, and never, never thought about uh, entering the academic world. That was never my plan at all. Uh, I did translations at the time, uh, as I said, McNeese and, and others, and uh, and I was writing poetry, doing other stuff that you do when you are young and writing poetry. I did magazines. I, I founded a little publishing house, and so uh, I was really interested in getting that uh, that first-hand perspective by an old hand uh, and somebody who re really knew what he was talking about, uh, and and that was uh, that was wonderful. People who write poetry talk differently about poems also at university than, than people who uh, take it as a subject matter. They, uh, and that was what I was uh, longing for and what I, uh, I received in, in parts as well. Yeah, so it was been, a yeah. wonderful, apart from the fact uh, that I, I spent, a, spent so, so, such a long time in Dublin, uh, which was very enjoyable, uh, the, the studies themselves for me as a developing and young poet was very important. And uh, Beckett, Beckett was a bit taken. I don't know if Beckett spent time in Germany, but he was certainly quite uh, influenced by, by maybe some German writers and philosophers. He spoke German and yeah. he spent some time in Germany. He traveled uh, in the 30s. He, he, he did a trip across Nazi Germany. And, uh, and actually the letters he sent back from that journey are, are stunning. It's, it's, it's very fascinating because he, he witnessed what was going on and, and very clear sense of what was going to happen and met people, talked to people. And those letters are, are, are stunning, a stunning read. Yeah. There, was a, there was a Beckett Festival in Dublin at the Gate Theatre in the early 90s. Uh, the, the director on that was a German, uh, Walter Amos. Amos, I can't quite remember. But I think he was a really good friend of Beckett and Beckett wanted him to direct um, all the plays. And he was still doing that in the in the nineties. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So clearly, was yeah, there the crossover yeah, there? Yeah, Beckett spent some time, a lot of time in Berlin as well, other places, and and uh, um, I think slept at the Akademie der Künste, the Academy of uh, Arts, uh, the Art Academy in Berlin, and and uh, directing or co-directing or uh, advising the the, the companies. Uh, um, that were working on on his on his plays. Yeah, you were mentioning uh, um, being a student in Dublin. Do you think that um, students now or people of that age who are writing poetry is it is it a different experience perhaps because of things like um, Instagram that they write for social media and even the kind of very powerful influence that rap has had on spoken word uh, poets when you're when you're talking to people in their early twenties or something. Do you? Do you find as a difference? The spoken word scene uh, certainly is um, is a more recent phenomenon, and 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 that has had a strong influence on of, of younger on younger poets, I'm sure. But uh, I'm I mean I'm, I'm in touch with poets who are a lot younger than I am, and and uh, they tend to be fond of the same great masters uh, of the art as well. So uh, talking about Bonahini or Ted Hughes or or German poets. Uh, uh, the Danish poet Inga Christensen, I think, is as popular uh, with uh, older poets than she is with younger poets. Uh, uh, John Ashbery, I think, was an influence. The American poet John Ashbery was an influence on younger poets and very young poets, as well as on uh, on, on uh, poets from the 
70s and 80s. So um, I think both coexist, but the spoken word, a strong influence, I, I'm sure, amongst the, the very young uh, generation. I can't tell you anything about uh, uh, social media uh, or the impact of social media. I'm sure uh, there must be uh, some impact. And obviously the ways of publishing have developed and you didn't have the internet uh, in the in the last century and you, you wouldn't you wouldn't publish your work on internet forums but uh, you can do that now uh, although i would doubt that the that affects the poems uh, uh, themselves uh, because uh, after all you write those poems uh, the, the same way you had you, you wrote them uh, um, decades before for yourself with yourself uh, and with a keen eye on, on language and uh, the, uh, the ways uh, in which langu- language works. Again, I suppose, just about poetry general. Do you think there's more room for women's voices in poetry or are there more uh, women writing poetry now? As compared to uh, um, the uh, 50s and 60s uh, of the last century? Yeah, or, yeah. Well, well, I can tell you from, from, from first-hand experience, I did, did uh, uh, co-edit some anthologies, um, anthologies on younger German poetry, but also uh, three years ago, very um, um, thick volume with uh, younger European poetry. So we had, it's called Grand Tour, uh, the young poetry of Europe containing uh, 50 languages in 50 countries. So it's not the union, uh, the union uh, uh, countries, but, but Europe in the broadest possible sense, including Turkey, Ukraine, uh, and so on. And of course, Ireland. We, I think, had uh, at least as many women poets as we had uh, male poets. Uh, I think there were more more female poets in that anthology uh, as there were uh, male poets. So uh, I think it's a very um, um, fairly mixed uh, scene at the moment. We'll probably start to wrap things up. So I want to get a few recommendations for you. But we'll add those to the to the podcast so that people can have a look and they can maybe click on things or they can follow up on, on different books and stuff that you recommend. But have you any particular standout things that people should look for? Uh, you, um, mentioned, you mentioned the Matthew Sweeney book. Well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something to look out for, I'm sure. It's, it's called The Shadow of the Owl, published with Bloodex this year. And it's going to be published, going to be published in German uh, in, in October in Berlin. So, um, yeah, that's a very strong, strong collection. And the Beckett Letters, I presume they're published somewhere. It's, you can find those somewhere. The Beckett Letters are uh, collected in four big volumes, I think, published by Cambridge University Press. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, those are outstanding. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's marvellous to, to follow Beckett uh, uh, through through his life, the, the young Beckett, as I said, in Germany, stunning letters, but also the the, the Nobel Prize winner Beckett, or the the uh, kind of uh, un, unhappy Nobel Prize winner Beckett, who didn't really want to have the Nobel Prize at all, yeah. um, reacting to that uh, sudden stardom. Um, those letters are magnificent too. And as you said, those uh, letters dealing with theaters and directors and trying to point out to them what he had in mind uh, with a particular stage direction or, or a particular piece. And, yeah, uh, those letters I would strongly recommend too. We'd have to recommend uh, leading a donkey to, to northern Brandenburg around <laughs> yes, the lakes yes, and stuff. Yes, yes. To recommend the, the, the Uckermark donkey test, for yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, maybe to, to finish up, have you got um, have you got another, another poem of your own that we can go out on? Um, yes, I do. Um, since we talked about the midges, uh, I maybe should read that poem, right? Uh, yes, yeah. you said there are no poems about midges. Um, yeah. 
why not pick that one? Or, or even better, let's, let's, let's pick a very very short one. That's maybe, that's maybe better. In fact, it's one of, the, one of the shortest poems I've ever written. It's a, it plays with the Japanese haiku form. It's a double haiku. And it's so short that I can again read both the German and the English version. Teebeutel, eins. Nur in Sackleinen gehüllt. Kleiner Eremit in seiner Höhle. Zwei, nichts als ein Faden führt nach oben. Wir geben ihm fünf Minuten. Teabag. One. Draped only in a sackcloth mantle. The little hermit in his cave. Two. A single thread leads to the upper world. We shall give him five minutes. That was a translation by Ian Galbraith. Vielen Dank, Jan. That was uh, really lovely to talk to you. Lovely to talk to you too. And, uh, and I hope we can have a glass of wine in Kreuzberg sometime. Yeah, I very much look forward to it.